Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists. Thank you for downloading the webinars podcast from Bite Size Bio, the missing manual for bioscientists. The full version of this webinar can be viewed by navigating to bitesizebio.com slash webinars and clicking on the name of the sponsor, which can be found in the list on the right-hand side of the page. Hello, this is Amanda Welch welcoming you to this Bite Size Bio webinar, which today is sponsored by Kyogen. Kyogen is the leading global provider of sample to insight solutions to transform biological materials into valuable molecular insights. Kyogen sample technologies isolate and process DNA, RNA, and proteins from blood, tissue, and other materials. Assay technologies make these biomolecules visible and ready for analysis. Bioinformatics software and knowledge bases interpret, interpret data to report relevant, actionable insights. Automation solutions tie these together in seamless and cost-effective molecular testing workflows. Kyogen provides these workflows to more than 500,000 customers around the world in molecular diagnostics, human healthcare, applied testing, forensics, veterinary testing and food safety, pharma, pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies, and academia, life sciences research. Today's presentation is titled, Using CRISPR-Cas9 to Detect DNA Sequences on Single DNA Molecules with High-Speed AFM and is being presented by Dr. Jason Reed from Virginia Commonwealth University. Jason is an associate professor in the Department of Physics at Virginia Commonwealth University and a member of the Cancer Molecular Genetics Program at VCU Massey Cancer Center. His research group develops nanotechnologies for analysis of living systems with applications in drug development and molecular diagnostics. Prior to joining VCU, he was a faculty member at California Nanosystems Institute at UCLA in Los Angeles, California. He received his PhD from New York University and his BA from Harvard College. Now, as always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears on the right-hand side of your screen, and I'll put them to Jason at the end. The recording of the webinar will be available at bit.ly high speed AFM. That's bit.ly, sorry, that's bit.ly CRISPR high speed AFM. CRISPR is uppercase and AFM is uppercase. So now over to you, Jason, for the presentation. Thank you very much, Amanda. Um, I would like to uh, spend some time this morning discussing a little bit of the motivation for this work, um, how uh, single molecules can be analyzed with AFM, how AFM works, and then how we're using uh, the CRISPR-Cas9 system to improve the ability to analyze single molecules in, in, in systems where you have a small amount of material, which is really the um, main motivation for this work. So uh, before I begin, I'd like to just quickly thank uh, the folks that are involved. This is a collaboration which has involved a number of uh, different institutions, both at VCU, um, as well as the University of Bristol and NPL in the United Kingdom, uh, UCLA and NYU. And most of this work was funded by the NIH, either NIGMS or National Cancer Institute. 
So just to begin to set the stage, um, most folks in this field are familiar with the Agilent Bioanalyzer, which is a standard uh, benchtop technology for analyzing uh, DNA molecules, sizing them, quantitating them um, in a relatively rapid fashion. And it's fairly sensitive. It's used uh, across the range of abundances. It's commonly used in preparations, uh, quality control preparations for um, DNA sequencing and other things, including libraries made from single cells. Um, however, uh, the amount of material is still relatively large compared to the amount of material in a single or a few cells. And as uh, research is going towards uh, wanting to analyze materials from very, very small amounts of input, including single cells and also things like forensic samples, biopsies, whatnot, um, there is a motivation to come up with a, a more sensitive technique, and that's and that's where we're applying atomic force microscopy. So what what is AFM? AFM is uh, stands for atomic force mi microscope. It's a common method uh, used primarily in material science to in, to analyze surfaces on the nanoscale. So uh, in this slide here shows a typical laboratory atomic force microscope. Um, the device itself, because it's uh, analyzing things that are on the order of nanometers, both in the X, Y, and Z dimensions, tends to be very sensitive to vibrations in the laboratory. So uh, it's usually mounted on a large table, which uses vibration isolation. The actual atomic force microscope device itself is quite small. It's this red arrow points, in this case, to the head of the AFM, which is a device that holds a micro cantilever, which is like a sharp record needle um, that uh, is very, very small, very difficult to see, probably the width of a human hair, uh, but it's mounted on this fairly substantial platform to control its motion uh, on the nanometer scale in the X, Y, and Z dimensions. At the end of this micro cantilever is a um, sharp tip. The whole thing is usually made out of some sort of silicon material or silicon nitride, uh, which can be manufactured using standard uh, micro uh, fabrication techniques. Uh, key to the, to the uh, technique is the fact that the point of this probe can be very, very sharp. The radius of the tip itself can be on the order of 10 nanometers. Um, and then this tip is then brought into proximity with objects on a smooth surface, and the uh, tip is run over these objects. And as the tip interacts with these objects, it lifts up and down. Um, and then the atomic force microscope uses optical methods to track that motion. Uh, and it's actually able to track very, very accurately uh, Z motions on the order of um, sub-nanometer or angstrom uh, distances. And if it's rastered across the surface slowly, it actually can trace out a topographic map of the objects on the surface. And that's normally what it's used for um, in material science. It also is has a large uh, uh, number of users in the life sciences because it allows nanoscopic scale imaging under many different environmental conditions, liquid, uh, vacuum, um, it can interact with soft materials as well. Uh, so it's a highly flexible uh, imaging system. Uh, it also can image single molecules. So one of the things that we um, have shown is that you can use this method to quantitate D 
DNA molecules or PCR amplicons in a mixture, much like you would do when you wanted to analyze gene expression from several different species at once. Normally, this sort of technique would be done with uh, quantitative PCR, where you have to use separate uh, qPCR reactions for each analyte, uh, which means if you want to do, say, 10 uh, species, uh, and you want to compare that to 10 species in a different sample, then you have to do 20 reactions. Um, Below here, this uh, orange box shows a typical atomic force microscope image of PCR amplicons. The, the DNA molecules themselves look like little spaghetti strings. They're the light-colored uh, strands. Um, in this particular image, there are actually 10 different species of PCR amplicon, um, and they have 10 different lengths. The difference, some of the species are uh, highlighted in colors with the names of the genes. Um, and so by preparing a typical uh, mixture uh, of PCR amplicons using multiplex PCR, where there are 10 species in the single reaction, and using a low cycle number where the amplification of the different species is not highly biased based on their size, um, we found that we could uh, essentially count the number of molecules that would appear in a series of frames uh, and then quantitate their relative abundance. And this um, this was shown to be accurate and also uh, highly consistent with what one could do with um, multiplex or, or singleplex quantitative PCR. Um, however, the amount of material required uh, is is quite small, um, and it could be done with only one or two reactions versus ten or twenty reactions. Um, here's an example of some of data from a react of a of a uh, an experiment where a um, uh, multiplex PCR reaction was analyzed first with a bioanalyzer, which is the um, data that's presented on the left side of the screen, uh, where 10 species from total human RNA were analyzed, and the relative sizes of the peaks gives the relative abundance of those transcripts in the sample. Um, on the lower left is a uh, same analysis of the same transcripts from human brain. And you can see from these two um, graphs the, that these genes are expressed at different levels. Um, on the right side is the same sample um, analyzed using the atomic force microscope technique. However, the, on the right side, the input material was a thousand times less. Um, the left side uses the bioanalyzer high, high sensitivity kit, which is the maximum sensitivity of that system. The AFM easily achieves a thousand times lower, uh, a thousand times the sensitivity. It can use a thousand times lower material, um, and the uh, the data are quite comparable. This shows uh, on the right side shows the amplicon links and the different genes. One important thing to note is because the AFM counts single molecules, not fluorescence, the larger um, molecules are uh, appear to be to be less abundant, but their actual molarity is measured correctly. Whereas in the bioanalyzer, because it measures fluorescence, the larger molecules um, appear to be more abundant uh, because of the total uh, molecular weight is higher. Um, so this shows that it's possible to use this this kind of technology to analyze um, very low abundant samples and do convenient things like simple multiplexing. Problem is um, that particular uh, analysis takes a long time to gather a number, uh, a significant number of counts from any system because AFM traditionally is slow. 
A conventional atomic force micro microscope system that is available commercially typically operates um, at a data collection rate of less than 50,000 pixels per second. Um, and that is equivalent to taking a typical image in a minute, two minutes, three minutes. Anyone who's worked with this technique historically knows that that's the major drawback of it. Um, over the last few years, uh, technologies have matured and a number of different designs for much faster AFM imaging have become available um, that it would allow uh, frame rates of two, four, ten frames per second over reasonable um, sizes to be generated. And this is what's called high-speed AFM. So a typical high-speed AFM system um, would be able to collect on the order of a million pixels per second, two million pixels per second, which is 50 times faster than a conventional AFM. This makes this sort of molecular analysis of DNA fragments much more um, uh, much more user-friendly, and it can be accomplished in a, a period of time which is usable in a molecular biology lab. Um, so a typical high-speed AFM system, and the one that we use uh, in our laboratory, is, is a, a system that is fairly compact, more compact than uh, a normal laboratory AFM because it's much less sensitive to vibration because it operates at much higher um, rates of scanning. Uh, it's, its data collection happens at a faster rate than the, the background noise in the environment. Um, so it's much, much uh, more um, applicable to be a, de a small desktop box. And, and this um, panel on the left side gives you the scale of what one of these instruments looks like compared to a typical coffee cup. Uh, the right side video shows um, how the scanning stage is arranged. In the case of a typical high-speed AFM, in order to achieve these high speeds, um, on simple samples, the sample itself is moved uh, with a, what's known as a flexor stage, which allows um, left and right movements on the order of one or two kilohertz. Uh, that means line rates of one or two kilohertz, which translates to um, million pixels per second, and each pixel being one to two nanometers square. And it still attains the uh, vertical or the height resolution of sub-nanometer. Now, uh, a lot of the advancements are in the electronics to make the noise levels acceptably low in a system with such high bandwidth, and that can't easily be shown here. Um, but that is an important part of the technology. Um, and this is an example of some data. These are uh, these are live recorded frames. This is the speed at which the system will generate images, uh, and you can see various PCR fragments of different sizes. And some long or uh, unusually shaped objects are actually uh, fragments of genomic DNA that were left over from the PCR reaction. But you, if anyone's ever used an AFM, you can see that this is, produces data at a much higher rate. Um, so this higher rate of uh, data production allows one to do things like take very large tiling images. Um, in this case, this large image is uh, about 20 by 20 microns, which is made up of individual tiles of smaller uh, frames, but it can be uh, gathered in just a few minutes. Uh, however, the resolution is still, re is still retained. So if you were to zoom in, and that shows on the right side shows a zoomed in frame. This frame is captured at a resolution of two by two nanometers per pixel. Um, so this shows just some genomic DNA from a cell preparation spread on a surface of mica. Um, and one can see that uh, this enables analysis of these kinds of samples, which can be done with conventional ASM, AFM, but it's very uh, 
it's very impractical for a lot of um, types of, of uses that one would want to do for molecular biology. Um, here's another example of a similar kind of image of condensed chromosomes. Uh, and anyone that's familiar with chromosome spreads will recognize this image that shows condensed chromosomes uh, on a surface. Um, one of the first applications that we investigated was uh, looking at nucleic acid contamination in spin columns. It was known um, in the literature uh, a few years ago that through using deep sequencing and some quantitative PCR methods that uh, commercial spin columns from various manufacturers actually contained DNA contamination in them uh, right out of the package. And that's not that surprising because those systems are made to attract and bind DNA. So um, the question is how much DNA is really there? How prevalent is that problem? What, what are these DNA species? So we wanted to look at with AFM to see if we could detect this kind of a contamination. So um, the simple experiment would be to take a spin column from the manufacturer fresh out of the box, elute ultra pure water through it. And with that, you would be eluting whatever DNA molecules might be contaminating that column. Take that liquid, uh, drop it onto a small mica disc and let the water evaporate and the molecules will be left over. Image those molecules. Um, in the case of DNA contamination, it's at a very low abundance. So it would require quite a bit of imaging uh, with the conventional AFM that would take a very long time but it's practical with high-speed AFM. Um, these are kind of images you would see. This is what a plasma digest of known DNA would look like on the upper left. Uh, in the middle upper panel, there's a typical small PCR fragment. That's what DNA looks like. Um, panels C through F show uh, the eludent um, molecules that are present in several different manufacturer spin columns. Uh, right out of the box. Now, we have no way of no, uh, proving uh, initially that this is DNA. However, it looks exactly like DNA in terms of its morphology and its size. Um, so the first thing we did was, was count the abundance in terms of particle count or molecule count per square micron captured over many images um, from several different manufacturers, which were labeled here only as A, B, C, and D. Uh, and what we found is a few manufacturers had quite high abundances of uh, of particles that look like DNA, and some of the manufacturers had very low or close to none uh, compared to control, which was just a, a water blank. Um, importantly, most of the abundances in terms of nanograms or picograms per microliter DNA concentration were below even sensitive fluorimeters. So it's not something that would be easily detected using um, typical laboratory fluorimeters. However, if you were doing deep, deep sequencing from these, uh, uh, from samples prepared through these columns, you would, this contamination would show up in your, um, in your deep sampling. Um, and we we're also able to quantitate the size and the size of most of these fragments is on the order of a uh, hundred, a little bit less than a hundred nanometers, which is 300 base pairs. Though some of the manufacturers had quite large uh, fragments uh, on the order of 300 base pairs ish, which is about um, one KB worth of DNA. For comparison, on the right side, we have uh, some fragments from a plasmid digest just to show um, what the relative sizes uh, would appear of a, of a plasmid digest compared to these fragments. And we went on to do some other um, biochemistry uh, experiments to show that that the material was actually amplifiable using nonspecific amplification protocols, which suggested that what we're seeing really is DNA. Um, 
problem uh, with these previous analyses with AFM that I've described is uh, the DNA molecules, if they're not any different in length, it's hard to tell uh, what the sequence is. So it limits the utility. One way around this is to actually use the sensitive height detection capability of AFM and label the molecules in some fashion. Um, one simple scheme is what I'm going to call molecular braille, where you are able to bind particles like proteins uh, in some fashion to the backbone in a sequence-specific manner. The AFM then can measure the positions of these particles along the backbone. It's been shown in a number of studies that AFM can measure DNA molecules extremely precisely, almost as precise as a uh, DNA sequencing gel. And therefore, uh, these kinds of patterns that can be recovered from things that you bind to the backbones, assuming that the the binding rates are sufficiently high, uh, can create a signature, which then can allow you to trace the um, this pattern back to a sequence database to identify the fragments. Uh, and we published some papers on, on this general scheme and some simple experiments. And here's an example of a simple experiment where streptavidin was bound using streptavidin biotin chemistry uh, on NIC sites on a DNA molecule. Uh, you can look at the backbone trace generated by the AFM, and you can see the resolution with which these proteins can be localized. On the bottom is a blow-up image of a typical molecule. You can see what this looks like. These markers are easily identified. Um, part of the limitations of this chemistry, however, is there has to be some way of linking these molecules to the uh, DNA backbone with a high enough fidelity, and we showed in a mathematical analysis that um, the labeling rate needs to be above 70%. Um, and then the false labeling rate, that is the incorporation of false or false binding, needs to be very low, probably below 10%, in order for this kind of a scheme to be useful in many applications. And um, streptavidin biotin chemistry with nick nicking doesn't work as well um, as one would like for a variety of reasons. However, um, it does allow uh, the ordering the analysis of multiple species on the order of 10 to 15 species in a mixture like we would do in a PCR reaction. And this just shows an example of, let's see, this is six, seven molecules with their backbone traces from a mixture. Um, and the, the spikes show the position of these markers along the backbone trace. Uh, and this shows an example of a, of a backbone trace of a molecule with two markers, for instance. Um, and so this is where the CRISPR system comes in. The CRISPR system, uh, as most people know, is a system which uh, combines uh, a nuclease, uh, Cas9, or some other similar protein with a targeting guide RNA to, to create a composite particle, which is part RNA, part protein, uh, but uses a nominally 20 base pair recognition sequence, um, and that can be programmed by changing the uh, the RNA itself and then conjugating it with the protein and then all mixing that with the DNA. And the question we had was that can that be used as a particle system um, to label DNAs? The advantage being that uh, the 20 base pair being in completely programmable um, allows much more flexibility in the types of loci that one could investigate the creation of these patterns. Um, however, it was unknown whether uh, one could bind um, CRISPR-Cas9 to DNA in a stable enough fashion to be able to prepare it and image it with AFM uh, and also retain the, the properties of high fidelity, that is high labeling rates and low false labeling rates. Um, so we did an experiment which uh, proceeded like this, 
where we have Cas9 with a uh, RNA or sgRNAs that are targeted towards specific sites. On test molecules, those are mixed in a single tube, and then the unbound is uh, removed with a spin column. Those molecules that are labeled uh, are then uh, dropped onto a piece of mica uh, that surfaces uh, imaged with high-speed AFM. Um, this particular cartoon actually shows backbone traces from real images of some long molecules where these red bumps are the Cas9 proteins. Uh, and again, you can recover the um, position of these Cas9 proteins along the backbone and create something like a digital signature that can be matched to a database of DNA sequences to allow us to identify or differentiate molecules in a mixture. Um, here are some examples of test molecules um, and then measurements of those test molecules with AFM. So the, the blue rectangles are actual small AFM images. Uh, the red dots on the green uh, molecules are the Cas9 proteins. And we found, surprisingly, that um, by altering the reaction conditions, even wild-type Cas9 can be uh, made to bind quite stably um, to DNA molecules such that it survives the purification and imaging process. Uh, of high-speed AFM. Now, high-speed AFM, because it's moving faster, tends to impart more forces on um, the surface uh, and would disassociate uh, potentially protein DNA complexes like this. However, we found this uh, Cas9 system to be quite stable and at very high labeling rates. Uh, in most cases, it could be uh, uh, conducted under conditions that would allow labeling rates of 85 to 90 percent, very low false labeling rates. Um, we conducted a number of experiments with different constructs to, to measure this and also to measure the relative sizing precision, which we found to be quite high. Um, here's an example of a, 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 not a small construct, but a relatively large uh, molecule. This is a 13 kb uh, long PCR amplicon from one of the exon regions of uh, the gene BRCA1, and it shows these Cas9 proteins bound to ALU1 um, repeats, which is a general way of using one uh, labeling species to barcode any DNA molecules, since ALU1s and other repeats are very common in the human genome. Um, and the, the actual known map of this particular uh, sequence is given below. And we can clearly identify that um, the Cas9 proteins map to the expected sites, and the, the spacing in between them um, corresponds to the expected distance. Um, and this can also be done. BRCA1 itself is a, uh, the locus of it, um, of the entire gene, is on the order of 100 kb. And so um, it's quite easy to actually uh, do the same kind of a analysis on, on a molecule that's 100 kb in this example of a of a bat clone from the from the entire BRCA1 locus labeled with um, CRISPR-Cas9 and imaged with high-speed AFM. The red bumps along the molecule backbone are the uh, uh, Cas9 proteins targeted to the ALU1 sites. And then the bumps that are off to the side are unbound um, uh, Cas9s. Because of the precision of the AFM, the bound versus unbound uh, Cas9 proteins are easily distinguished, and the backbone contour length is quite easily measured. This particular uh, 100 kb uh, molecule could be measured in about two or three seconds at the frame, at the, uh, at the imaging rates of the high-speed AFM. So it's quite possible to analyze um, 
uh, large molecules as well as PCR fragments, um, which makes this uh, an interesting technique for potentially mapping or detecting breakpoints, uh, structural rearrangements, or other things. Um, the precision of the AFM allows uh, the spacing between different sites to be measured on the order of 10 to 20 base pairs, which means the um, accuracy of the uh, barcode is quite high, which means in complex mix mixtures, it's still um, possible to map these uh, patterns back to the sequence database, which distinguishes this from some other mapping technologies like uh, optical mapping and things like that, where um, uh, you have worse resolution because you're limited to optical um, uh, resolutions and therefore uh, mathematically it becomes difficult when you have uh, a lot of sequences that you're trying to map together. Um, also being able to re resolve very closely spaced markers allows you to determine uh, features on small scales. So here's a, this um, XY graph shows uh, the expected positions of markers on various different test constructs compared to their measured positions. It's quite linear. Um, the CVs uh, of the smaller fragments uh, or the smaller spacings on their order of 12 base pairs, uh, and it um, increases roughly uh, linearly. Right? So the error is about 10% of the fragment size. Um, we're also able to show because we can measure many 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 molecules with this high-speed system, by averaging, we actually could resolve um, very small changes. This latter shows a series of constructs which were uh, two base pairs in difference in size from 140 base pairs up to 150 base pairs. And by analyzing um, and averaging the, the measurements of uh, many molecules, we actually could distinguish the difference. Uh, which uh, shows that this has near single base pair resolution if used uh, in an averaging mode. Um, and this also can be uh, used for things like uh, mapping breakpoints and translocation. So here's an example where um, we took a lymph node shavings from seven follicular lymphoma patients known to typically have translocations between uh, the IgH locus and the BCL2 locus. Um, we labeled the IgH locus uh, at the J regions with Cas9 proteins, and we labeled the most likely hotspots in a BCL2 with Cas9 proteins, and then we PCR, used long PCR to amplify um, the potential breakpoint areas and map the location. Um, the different patients were found to have breakpoints at different uh, positions within the uh, IgH locus, and that could be determined by the pattern of the molecules recovered from the samples versus uh, uh, what would be expected from the wild type. And we could see that the breakpoints of most patients occurred near the J6 um, region of IgH. One patient had the breakpoint around the J5 region, and then one point had the breakpoint around J4. In some cases, this uh, breakpoint actually can be prognostic of, uh, of, of patient um, outcomes. And, and so one could imagine that th this could be used in a number of different fashions. So um, finally, one of the, the last things we did was show that um, the technology for high-speed AFM is actually fairly straightforward. and can be implemented um, even using commercial electronic components, which are quite inexpensive, which means that the system, instead of being an, an exotic um, 
system which would be only found in some core lab could actually be uh, you know fabricated and applied to these kinds of analyses uh, in a embodiment that you know could be on the order of the cost of a PCR machine for instance um, so the typical components of a of a, of a system like this would use something like a DVD optical pickup so this optical element is within every uh, Blu-ray or DVD player and actually contains almost all of the um, electronics and optics required to actually create a high-speed AFM. Uh, it contains a lens which focuses a laser beam onto the cantilever. Um, that's normally used to focus a laser beam onto the DVD and record uh, the, uh, uh, the bits that are coming off the reflective surface. Um, however, it also can be uh, used uh, to record the position of the AFM cantilever, and it has nanometer accuracy. It also has a lot of high-speed electronics because the data, natural data rates of these devices is tens of megahertz, um, which is well in excess of what's needed for high-speed AFM imaging. So by simply coupling something like this optical pickup unit with a high-speed flexure stage, one can have a basic high-speed AFM system. And we were able to show in this configuration, we could actually image um, and easily detect Cas9 molecules bound to DNA, the noise floor of these systems is a little bit higher than uh, uh, a specific, more, more highly engineered optical system that we were using before. However, the cost of the DVD pickup is on the order of less than $10. Um, so it means that the whole cost of the system is in fact quite low. One can still measure the spacings. Um, this is an example of a backbone of a PCR amplicon from the TERT locus from the human genome showing two bound Cas9 molecules taken with the optical pickup unit. We did this for a series of samples uh, with TERT and HER2 um, that had different spacings of Cas9 molecules that we targeted to these PCR amplicons and showed that we could recover data which um, looked very, very similar to the more expensive embodiments of high-speed AFM. And so this is one potential uh, way that this technology could be used um, more widely uh, in laboratories because it can be made to be relatively inexpensive and, and, um, and easy to use uh, uh, as a desktop instrument. So um, I will wind it up there. Again, I'd like to uh, thank the collaborators, uh, both students, other faculty here at VCU, as well as our collaborators uh, at the University of Bristol and NPL in London, UCLA, and NYU, who have been part of the development of this technology over years, as well as the funding um, from the National Institutes of Health. So I will then turn it back over to you, um, Amanda. Thanks, Jason. That was a great presentation. Um, we do have a question or so from the audience. If anyone else has a question, please feel free to post it in the questions box that appears on the right of your screen. Um, so the question that we have is about um, using this with or comparing this with ChIP-seq. So would it be possible to compare or use that as an augmented method for... Um, ChIP-seq. Yes, that's, yeah. a, that's actually a great idea. Um, one of the sort of one of the ideas behind this is, is being able to tell what you're looking at. I mean, we clearly can detect low abundance uh, of, of molecules. The question is, if you pull down some molecules with ChIP-seq, you want to know what locus you've pulled down. Um, and so we've shown using uh, in that uh, one of the papers that was cited in this presentation, uh, using a mathematical analysis, that you should be able to identify um, 
uh, most loci in the human genome using a generic labeling scheme like ALU1s or some other mm -hmm. repeats, um, which would allow you to uh, identify molecules that were isolated using ChIP-seq, as long as they were several KB long, um, right. which most general gentle prep should be able to, to isolate. So yeah, it, it, we haven't done that kind of thing, but I do think it's quite possible. Okay, and then we had a question about the resolution for there. So you said something about the resolution being in, as long as you could, you showed the ladder that had, um, sorry, I'm reading and trying to interpret it at the same time. Um, you said that you had the ladder that showed the difference with um, two base pairs. And you right, said that so you could do that with you when you were in averaging mode. Could you explain that a little bit more? Sure. So if you take a single uh, DNA molecule with these markers, mm -hmm. um, typically the measurement accuracy, um, that is the standard deviation of the measurement of two of the spacing is on the order of a little bit less than 10% of the distance between the markers. So for okay. 100 base pair spacing, that would be 10, 10 12 base pairs. Um, if you average, you know, with, with those sorts of statistics, you can see that if you average 10, 20, 30 molecules, you can start to um, improve the precision of the sizing, you know, kind of arbitrarily. We found that actually in practice, one could get down to close to single base pair resolution if you average enough fragments. Typically in a okay. mixture, you would not be averaging, uh, but uh, that kind of thing is possible. And one can imagine um, you can use that property to look at, um, you know, certain biophysical changes in molecules and things like that and resolve those if you're interested in, in you know, very small uh, length changes and whatnot. Excellent. So that looks like that brings us to the end of the webinar. So thank you again, Jason, for a very illuminating presentation and a great answer to some of these questions or to these questions. And thanks also to our sponsor, Kyogen. And finally, thanks to you, the audience, for taking the time to attend and listen in. If you've enjoyed the webinar and would like to view the video recording of the session, please visit the webinars page on bitesbio.com. It should be available within the next 24 hours. And there you can see the other webinars we have lined up for you in our free skills webinars. So until next time, good luck in your research, and goodbye from all of us at Kyogen and Bitesize Bio. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the webinar. To view the full video version of this and all of our other webinars, please visit bitesizebio.com slash webinars. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for mentors at your bench site in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.